0: grace and peace of christ be with you And also with you. let's turn and greet one another. <laughs> we welcome you to laguna presbyterian church and especially if you're visiting here today we're so glad that you came this morning to worship with us inside of the bulletin you'll notice that there is an announcement sheet called the connections and you will also find in each pew near the center a friendship pad we'd love to have you take that friendship pad and fill it out let us know that you're here today whether you're visiting or whether you're here regularly love to know that you're with us today Uh, in the connections you'll see some of the things that are going on in the life of our church we're signing up today for adult education classes for the fall some two of them are about the psalm uh, about the parables of jesus and those are classes that are going to be going along with the sermons that we are preaching in the fall several people have already begun to sign up and you can do that today on the patio There's also a women's small group that is going to be discussing the book Enjoying the Presence of God by Jan Johnson, and you can sign up for that and get that book out there today also. Our MOPs Mothers of Preschoolers group is signing up online. If you are a mother anywhere from being pregnant to having a child who's in kindergarten, that is a group for you, and it is a wonderful group that supports one another and has a great time together on Thursday mornings. But that is an on- online sign-up that you could do today. Also on our patio, our outreach committee is collecting funds for the school at Camp Pendleton. It is for us to buy school supplies for them. And school's about to start, so this is the last Sunday that is a chance for you to do that. And our church is going to be 100 years old in 2017, and so the Legacy Committee invites you, if you would like to be part of planning that 100th celebration, to contact Rick Lang, and he is the person that is doing a lot of putting that together and heading up that committee. We welcome to our pulpit today Mike Regal. Mike and his wife Debbie have been worshiping with us for two or three years. Neither he nor I can remember which it is. Beth says three. All right, it is three. Very good. Um, You may, if you were at the at home hospitality hour in July, you were in their home. They were the hosts for that. Mike is a minister in Los Ranchos Presbytery and has been the head of consulting firms for the last 25 years after working in our Presbytery office before that. So we are very glad that he is here today preaching for us. Also, the flowers this morning are to celebrate the 52nd anniversary of Jim and Judy Bergman. I think they are in Africa celebrating their anniversary, actually. And today, even though I don't see her here, today is the 93rd birthday of, Mark, of Mildred Nielsen. So when you see her, you can congratulate her on that. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let us pray. Faithful God, We, your people, are strange conundrums of faithfulness and fickleness. We cleave to you in all the ways that we're able. We count on you and intend our lives to be lived for you. And then we find ourselves always seeking elsewhere and otherwise. So we give thanks that you are the God who yearns and waits for us that our connection to you is always from your side, that it is because of your goodness that neither life nor death, nor angels nor principalities, nor heights nor depths, nor anything else in creation can separate us from you. We give you thanks for your faithfulness, so much more durable than ours. And this morning as we come to worship you, May we walk toward you with our whole lives, with audacity and adoration. Amen. Would you join me in the responsive call to worship? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Oh, give thank thanks to the Lord, Lord for he is, he is good, he is for his steadfast, steadfast love endures forever. forever. He is faithful from generation to generation,
1: God is with us, Emmanuel.
0: He is faithful from generation to generation.
1: God keeps his promises to us.
0: He is faithful from generation to generation.
1: Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast
0: love endures forever. And so let us stand and praise God together. (laughs) morning our confession is an unusual one. It is in the form of a lament. We lament for our own pain, for the pain of others, for the pain of the world. And lament also causes us to ask the hard question about whether in some way we have participated in the pain of others. So let us bring to the Lord our lament responsively. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How How long long will will you hide your face from me? me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long long will my my enemy enemy triumph over me? me? Look on me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. God we're lost in the night have you cast us from your presence temptations surround us their masks grin through the darkness we run from them but which way should we go where can we hide when all lies in shadow have mercy on us O God Our eyes are swollen from tears. Our bones are cold with fear. Our souls have been broken. Do you not hear, Lord? Save us. According to your steadfast love, answer us. Do not hide your face, but draw near and redeem us. Where we pray through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. Those who love me I will deliver, says the Lord. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them and show them my salvation i will will trust trust in in your unfailing love my heart heart rejoices in your salvation i will sing to the lord for he has been good to me brothers and sisters in christ all god's promises are yes hear the good news through christ our minds and hearts are cleansed Healed and renewed, Amen.
2: Well, good morning. It's good to be with you again. Um, you probably noticed in the bulletin that the title of the sermon is "When We Are Angry," and you probably wonder why a guy who preaches once a year thinks he needs to talk about anger. Um, but it's not personal. <laughs> not not because of you, uh, but but rather. Uh, I also participated at times in Canvas, which is one of our new worshiping uh, communities in Los Ranchos Presbytery, and they were doing a series on uh, the spiritual life through the Psalms, and Kirk Winslow, who's the pastor, assigned uh, uh, topics to himself and myself and one other person who preaches there at times, and for some reason he gave me the topic anger. He never quite told me why, but he did, and so that's... What I, I prepared to talk about, it, and that's what I want to share with you this morning. The second thing I want to tell you is that it's, what we're going to be looking at is Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is a very long psalm. So if I read it in its entirety, you would think we were done. Um, and then I would have only just begun. So uh, what I'm going to do is is interlace the reading of, of the psalm with the, serm, with the sermon's comments. And I think it'll make more sense to you that way. Let's pray. Lord open our hearts and minds that we might hear uh, your word today and what you would have for us uh, in the areas of life that oftentimes trouble us, such as anger. In Jesus' name, amen. A father finds out that his daughter uh, had been sexually abused when she was 14. A family barely lives through the Rwandan genocide that killed 800,000 people in 100 days. Neighbor against neighbor with guns and machetes. And now those who survive must reflect on what happened. A few weeks ago, five African-American Christians were gathered to pray and study the Bible in their church. And a young white man came in and joined them, and they were very kind to him. And then, as we all know, he stood up at one moment and murdered five of them. And not long ago, five more of our servicemen were again violently murdered by a terrorist. And again, young wives are left with children to raise alone. A young lesbian girl commits suicide out of fear of coming out to her conservative Christian parents who sadly said afterwards, it would not have mattered to them. And one year after Michael Brown's death in Ferguson, Missouri, the city is again in an uproar over another black youth that has been shot. And the question we ask ourselves is, how do we as Christians respond to these things? And then there's this the idiot who sits through a green light because he's too busy texting. Or then there's the next-door neighbor who fires up his $350,000 Lamborghini at 6.30 in the morning, shaking our whole house. His garage is immediately adjacent to where our daughter has been, is sleeping, whose shift was over at 2.30 in the morning. And all I hear is someone pounding down the stairs rapidly, a pause, And in very loud words, some of them extremely colorful. (laughs) Now, what is our response to all of these? Well, it's, of course, a mix of emotions. Sometimes it's loss, sometimes fear, frustration. But for me, and perhaps for many of you, it's mostly anger. Often, deep anger. And sometimes we don't even know where it comes from. It just rises up and it takes over. Now, it's anger that I told you that I wanted to talk about this morning, but but not so much in the abstract, but rather as one facet of our human experience within the context of seeking to live a faithful spiritual life. So what is the human emotion we call anger? And is there a proper place for it? Or should good Christians be able to channel love in the face of infuriating or worse, horrific events? How does the Bible deal with human anger? And especially the Bible's prayer book, the Psalms. These are all the kinds of questions that I want to address this morning through Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is one of the cursing psalms so named for the vigorous calls for God to destroy all of the psalmist's enemies. Now, anger is an honest emotional response to injustice or hurt, or sometimes just when we don't get our own way. It is a normal human response to things that threaten us, or hurt us, or irritate us. It is an appropriate response to unjust actions. Regardless of the origin of the response a wrong has occurred and it calls for life to be put back in balance In a very real sense. It's a disruption of shalom of peace Shalom is peace that exists where things are to a large degree as they ought to be a hurt or an Irritation or an injustice disrupts that and it calls for a response It calls for vindication it calls for justice And it is our anger that makes the call. It is what we do with anger, however, that becomes the problem. If we hold on to it, it makes us sick. If we let it turn to violence or abusive speech, it further throws shalom out of balance and as a result becomes the catalyst for even more anger and more violence. And thus you have much of the human story an ongoing cycle of hurt and abuse and violence. Some years ago, my wife read a book by a Harriet Lerner called The Dance of Anger. Debbie had been raised in a good Christian family, but one emotion was a no-no, anger. Feelings were either good or bad, and anger was bad. Good Christians were not supposed to get angry. And so, most likely because living with me will make anyone angry, uh, she turned her anger in on herself. Lerner says, most of us have received little help in learning to use our anger to clarify and strengthen ourselves and our relationships. Instead, our lessons have encouraged us to fear anger excessively, to deny it entirely, to displace it onto inappropriate targets, or to turn it against ourselves. We learn to deny that there is any cause for anger, to close our eyes to its true sources, or vent anger ineffectively in a matter that only maintains rather than challenges the status quo. And she continues, anger is a signal, and one worth listening to. Our anger may be a message that we are being hurt, that our rights are being violated, that our needs or wants are not being adequately met, or simply that something is just not right. It was a revelatory moment for my wife when at a marriage encounter retreat that we attended many years ago, she first encountered the notion that emotions just are. In and of themselves, they are neither good nor bad. They just are. Now our culture does not want to deal with anger either. Did you notice how quickly the media latched onto the families of the Charleston victims publicly declaring their forgiveness? Now I'm all for forgiveness, and I do believe that it is key to not getting stuck in your anger. But one is not realistically forgiven the day after your mother's been murdered. I watched one media interview that I thought was closer to the mark, the rather flamboyant Professor Cornell West of Union Seminary in New York, if you've ever seen him, he's kind of got wild hot hair and a wild beard, and he says wild things, but he opined that families, the families move to forgiveness too fast, and he asked the pertinent question, where was the anger? Now many of us understand the stages of grief Because we've heard them so many times Denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance And it takes time to work in and out of these And forgiveness I believe happens Only at the point where there really is acceptance These poor folks were still in denial But the Christian thing to do Is to say you forgive And that is what the media wanted to hear And that's what they heard But they weren't going to be around when the anger really hit these families. The media cycle must move on. These families will be left alone to deal with their pain. And I don't judge these families for what they said. I mean, how dare I? I'm just concerned for them. Anger will come. And it must come. But what they each do with that will determine whether they will be stuck in a cycle of anger and self-destruction, or really move on to acceptance and forgiveness. Now, you don't have to read too far in the Old Testament to encounter angry people and all sorts of sordid behaviors by the very people through whom God intends to bring salvation of creation. Even God gets angry in the Old Testament. And sometimes what is said is chilling to our modern sensibilities. While the anger of God is not our primary theme in the psalm, I think I have to address it in due course because it sets the proper context. And so with this as a background, we turn to our psalm. How does the psalmist handle anger? What does the poet do with it? And from that, we'll gain hints for our own spiritual life and perhaps a healthy way to deal with a very real emotion, anger. Psalm 69, as I said earlier, is a cursing psalm. The reason will become clear as I read it. I doubt you've ever heard Psalm 69 read in its entirety in church. The psalm is an extended lamentation of an innocent sufferer who has been abused and now wants retaliation. And it's similar to all psalms of lamentation except for that one little element, those nasty curses. And so we begin with the complaints. Verse 1, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying, my throat is parched, my eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. For in number, more in number than the hairs of my head, are those who hate me without cause. Many are those who would destroy me, my enemies who accuse me falsely. What I did not steal must I now restore? O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Do not let those who hope in you be put to shame because of me, O Lord God of hosts. Do not let those who seek you be dishonored because of me, O God of Israel. It is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my kindred, an alien to my mother's children. It is zeal for your house that has consumed me. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. When I humbled my soul with fasting... They insulted me for doing so. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the subject of gossip for those who sit at the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. Wow. This guy's having a rough day. The psalm begins with a petition, a very simple petition. Save me which is followed by a lengthy complaint describing his situation, starting with some metaphors, which I think most of us can relate to. Have you ever used the expression, I feel like I'm drowning? Have you ever felt like you were simply stuck in a bad situation and you felt there was no way to break free? If so, then you're right there with the psalmist. And what is the problem that the psalmist faces? Well, we don't really know. And perhaps that's the beauty of it, making it possible for all of us to step into this psalm and make it our prayer. But what we do know is that he's hated and abused. There are unaccountable enemies who hate him and who accuse him falsely. We do have one hint to perhaps the catalytic event that launched all this. He says, what I did not steal, must I now restore? It seems he's falsely accused of stealing something. But speaking to God, he confesses, God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. God, you know all my wrongdoing, and you know I am innocent of that which my enemies have accused me. And if that isn't enough to get God to act, he pushes his complaint further, insisting that he is in trouble because he has stood up for God. In fact, later on, he'll say, I'm taking abuse instead of you, God. And he also appeals to God to protect his own honor. Somehow the psalmist's plight will cause other faithful ones to be dishonored as well. All of this, all of that complaint is intended to make a case. God, help me. And if not for me, then for your faithful followers. And if not for them, for your own honor. Help me. Now, the main petition follows, but I'm going to take up some poetic license and jump ahead and look at those nasty curses and then come back to the petition. It's a wish list of invective and acrimony, starting in verse 19. You know the insults I receive and my shame and dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Insults have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. And now the curses. Let their table be a trap for them, a snare for their allies. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one live in their tents, for they persecute those whom you have struck down and those whom you have wounded. They attack still more. Add guilt to their guilt. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous wow make them blind fill them with fear destroy their camp let them be removed from the living in other words kill them in short damn them to hell not exactly your churchly kind of prayer no wonder we don't hear it read in church this may be the first and the last time you'll ever hear this psalm here But it is gut-wrenchingly honest. It is true anger from the gut, raw fury, honest human response. Fortunately, at least I hope this is true, most of us have not encountered this kind or this level of injustice and pain. But imagine if you were one of the survivors of the Rwandan genocide we saw in a recent film here, at Laguna, or one of the survivor families of 9-11, or the father of a daughter raped and murdered, or a jury survivor of the Holocaust, or a Palestinian family whose house is destroyed so a big wall can be installed, cutting them off from their own community. We, we don't have to think far to find stories of people who have suffered such horrific evil that it's not hard to imagine praying this prayer the psalmist is giving speech to the deep anger and hurt and injustice he is experiencing and he is doing so in the very presence of God now should we consider such language sub-christian there are actually some who do is this acceptable speech for a Christian especially towards God I would argue there is no better place to go with our anger than to God. This is raw truth, and truth is what God is about. Where else is it safe to allow yourself to let out and express such anger? How can this be so? How can we know that freedom to do that? Well, let's go back now to that petition. There we shall find answers to the questions about anger. Starting in verse 13. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me. With your helpful faith, help with faithful help, rescue me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Do not let the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste To answer me, draw near to me, redeem me, set me free because of my enemies. Now here, we have the center of the psalm. And the place where we begin to get to the core of anger in the Bible. Anger for the psalmist is always expressed within the larger context of God's steadfast love. Twice he appeals to it. In the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Steadfast love, that phrase, runs throughout the Hebrew Bible. In the Old Testament, it is the word hesed, and it occurs 200 times, but 123 times said is found in the Psalms. For the Israelites, God's Hesed, his steadfast love was rooted in a text from Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, where Yahweh describes himself. Hear that, hear it. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, said and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, giving in, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This was Israel's God. Yahweh was Hesed. And as such, in time of distress, Israel appealed to God's Hesed, to God's steadfast love. This is no romantic notion of love. It is action, action, always for the benefit of another. And most importantly, Hesed was tied to the covenant that God had made with Israel. Through her, God would heal and restore all creation and so has steadfast love is covenant language it is the center of the relationship between god and his people and even all of creation thus god's has can be the basis for all appeals for deliverance because his covenant love endures forever and this is how we can understand the psalmist's diatribe of retribution Yahweh had made a covenant with Israel because of his great love and mercy, because of his said, and it was to that that the psalmist appeals even in his great anger and even through the vitriol that comes out of his mouth, he's directing it toward God because of, and trusting because of God's steadfast love now We can notice something about the context of this diatribe. Anger is an emotion that moves, and it must move. And remember, it will either turn inward or turn outward, inward on ourselves or outward on someone else. The drive is to find some way to bring life back into balance. And where does the psalmist go with his anger then? He takes it to God, and that is exactly where we ought to take our anger as well. God is not afraid of the truth that is you or me in the moment of hurt or imposed distress. God is not afraid of anger because we know God gets angry as well. And I thought about that. I know human anger all too well. I know it to be a normal emotional response to something that's wrong or unjust, or it is a protective shield from the deeper vulnerability one feels when threatened or hurt. But surely God is not hurt or threatened. So his anger must be more closely aligned with the idea that there is something wrong or unjust. And why does God consider something wrong or unjust? Those things that hurt or harm his creation, including you and me, are wrong. They're unjust. And anger towards such things is the appropriate response. A dispassionate response is an uncaring response. and God cares too much for creation and we humans. Consider these two verses then from Psalm 30. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his faithful ones. And give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. With God, it is not just that he is angry when he sees wrong or an injustice occurring. But because of his steadfast love, which is the context of his anger, he takes it upon himself to heal and to restore the brokenness. This is the meaning of his favor is for a lifetime. God's favor is God's grace, which is God's love. His anger does not reject. It sets out to heal and restore. So the way we may uh, weep in our brokenness for a night the promise, because of God's favor, is that there's joy with the morning. And so coming to God with our anger is going to the only one who can truly set things right to restore the brokenness and establish shalom. Confident in this, then, our psalmist, in what feels like a rather abrupt transition, breaks out into a hymn of Praise. Let the oppressed see and be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own that are in bonds. Where do we go with our anger? Do we turn it on ourselves? Do we turn it on others? What would God have us do? God would have us bring it on in all the deep, raw honesty that you feel in the moment. For what other hope is there that the world will ever be set right? Now, some of you know uh, that I suffer from a chronic pain problem, and now, because I've told it in both services, everybody knows. And as anyone who has a chronic condition knows, there are those dark moments when we slide into anger and despair and, to be honest, self-pity. And these are dangerous moments for more than one reason. First, there is the temptation in your hopelessness to do something final. But also, those around you suffer as you strike out at them in your anger. Where do we go then To Psalm 69. The enemy, my enemy, day in and day out, is the brokenness of my body. And where do I go to cry out for help? In my anger, in my despair, and in my hopelessness. And one other thing having brought it to the Lord and asking for faith to trust Him to make all things right, we can then act to restore peace instead of enact vengeance. And that's why Paul can write in Ephesians, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. For those of you who have lost a loved one, for those of you who have suffered a horrible injustice, For those of us who suffer from chronic medical condition, here is hope. And it's the closing of Psalm 69. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. And his servants shall live there and possess it. The children of his servants shall inherit it. And those who love his name shall live in it. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that we have a place to go, someone to go to in our anger who really has the power to ultimately resolve that which is broken, bring balance and peace back to an an uh, in, uh, inju- unjust situation. We pray that we would open our hearts to you on these things even today. In Jesus' name.
0: God, we give you thanks that you are a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, who cares enough to bend down your ear and listen to us, that you hold us in our darkest hours and answer when we call, that you right wrongs and bring healing. So come and bring justice and hope to the needy places in our world to places turned upside down by tyranny and injustice, to those who are persecuted, particularly the church in the Middle East, to those who are overwhelmed with despair, to those who live with physical or emotional pain. We pray healing for Chris Appel, for Steve Barker, For Arnold Ford, for Chris Landrum, for Dick Loomis, Carl Post, Linda Ross, Dave Sizer, Ron Trulock, the mother of Judy Bell, and the mother of June Hubbard. O Lord, you are the great treasure for whom our world longs. So we bring you these little treasures of ours and place them into your hands, asking that you will shape even our gifts and use them to bring hope to many. And so we pray for the day when all pain and sorrow ends, for the day when your will is done on earth as in heaven, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come.
1: have been unsure
2: Even came here this morning angry about something. The psalmist says, Take our, the psalmist shows that we take our anger to God. And Paul says, Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Which is a way of saying, Take the honesty of your anger to the one who can do something, and then we go forth, and we go forth today to continue to be ministers of reconciliation and peace. And so may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the steadfast love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.